KXRN LP. Laguna Niguel, Laguna Beach. Member supported KXFM on 104.7. KXFMRadio.org. This disclaimer is a statement notifying listening audiences that any opinions expressed on our shows are not representative of Laguna Radio Inc., its management, or its board of directors. a beautiful morning here and well, it's always beautiful and good. what's well, a little cloudy you know um they hauled catalina island off again this morning it's it's not there <laughs> you probably don't know what i'm talking about but if you were on the titanic in 1912 and you were up looking for an iceberg you would have looked out over the horizon and you would have seen nothing but ocean and it ends and that is a, a phenomenon that happens when there's a heavy moist cloud base that drops to the ocean level in front of the island and it looks like you can see forever it looks like you're looking off into the sky towards hawaii right and there's no island it just looks like there's no island so i always say they've towed it off because you can't see it well the same phenomenon happened with uh the titanic they, they thought they couldn't see anything until they got right up on top of it and well we know the rest of the story sadly so <laughs> The Catalina has been towed off today. I'll probably be back tomorrow. I don't know. And that brings me to my favorite topic. First, top of the hour. We got a lot to get to. Believe me, we got a wonderful program this morning. Lots happened this week. Lots to catch up on. Supposed to be 64 degrees to today. Plentiful. That's what it says. Plentiful sunshine. I of 64. Wind southwest 10 to 15 miles an hour. And gale warnings. Gales coming into town. I... And then for the rest of the week, it's uh, sunny, sunny, and then partly cloudy, mostly sunny, partly cloudy, on and off, partly cloudy and sunny for the next 10 days. And temperatures in the 60s, mid-60s, and lower 70s. So there you have it, the weather, the most important thing. You know, that old song that goes, the only thing I need is the weather report. Sometimes that's the way you feel. But not today. We have so much to catch up on. I want to thank our sponsor, Mike Johnson of Compass Realty for the last four years being here for Rainbow Radio. We really appreciate you, Mike. And if you have any real estate needs, he is a killer real estate agent and we'll get it done for you with a smile. Tell him I said so. <laughs> and uh, 
What else can I tell you? I, I, I just got to briefly touch on the news. I have my guest here waiting as soon as I get through my uh, announcements here and, I, and I'll introduce him. But I wanted to touch on something that's really important today. And LG, it's happened actually yesterday. LGBTQ Americans inch closer to freedom as House passes the Equality Act. Um, sadly, there were, was right down party lines. <laughs> so there were not, I don't think there were any Republicans that voted for it. But uh, I mean, something like this is innocuous as, as something so basic, it seems like you might step across the aisle a little bit more. Please, please, ne next time you have an opportunity, please step across the aisle. And I'm sure the Democrats would be happy to step across the aisle as well. So uh, what has happened is that there was a vote 224 to 206, the House passed a landmark Equality Act, which amends the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We all remember that under Johnson to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes in addition to race, religion, sex, and national origin. Boy, that covers everything. How about that? We're, we're very happy about that. The vote closely followed party lines with only three Republican lawmakers uh, supporting the vote. So there were some Republicans. Someone should write them a letter, say, Hey, you Republicans, thank you. Thank you for stepping across the aisle. Uh, without the Equality Act, the nation will never live up to its principles of freedom and equality. So, but it still has to go through um, the Senate. But we're 50-50 in the Senate, and all we need is Kamala Harris to push it over the other side. So we'll probably get through the Senate. But it's gone through the first House, which was probably the most difficult, was the uh, Assembly, or House of Representatives. So... So we're very grateful. That's a nice way to, to end the week. <laughs> we cannot get fired because we're gay. So be gay, be yourself, be happy. <laughs> um, what else? There's, there's lots of news and on this day in history, but I'm going to forego. This is a Craig on Rainbow Radio. We ha I have my program every week if you have uh, not caught it in the past. Been doing it now for four years here on KXFM 104.7. It's from 9 to 10. Uh, you can uh, catch it on uh, the website live if you might be listening right now at this moment. Or you can go to Zoom. Uh, there was an e a, um, a broadcast out with the Zoom information. If you got that, you can go to Zoom. Or you can just listen on an app on your phone or your um, PC. Or you can listen to it later if you miss it or you want to share it with someone else. It's available on rainbow-radio.com uh, as all my shows are for the last oh what, six eight months and it's also available in a podcast so you can uh download that as well too and that's that's available uh, on either on two websites the rainbow-radio.com and kxfm 104 point kxfmradio.org so either one of those places you can catch up on it and now ladies and gentlemen all the way from san diego right ian that's right. Huge journey. <laughs> uh, live, uh, remotely, I might add, it's Ian Jenkins. And just to embarrass him a little bit, uh, it's always nice to say a few things. He's a doctor, it says. He's living in San Diego, a specialist in hospital medicine, a, professional, a professor at a major university. Uh, he has been with his partner, Alan, for 17 years, and they have been with their uh, partner, Jeremy, for eight and they have two biological children, Piper, who is three, and Parker, who is 14 months. Piper and Parker are half-siblings who each needed two women to give them life. So, uh, 
that's the that's the tantalizing bit of information I'll give you about Ian. I'm so glad you're here. I've had so many people uh, curious and asked so many questions. And um, how's your day going so far? It is going great. Thanks for having me. It's a real treat. Uh, and I'll, I'll add one thing to that bio. We had a little milestone uh, that you can expect every year. Um, Valentine's Day is our anniversary. So we're now 18 years uh, with my first partner. Oh, my goodness. How wonderful to have a, your anniversary on Valentine's Day, Singles Awareness Day. That's right. <laughs> I Sadly, I um, what did I do? <laughs> oh, well, apparently it wasn't much because I don't recall. <laughs> so um, have you created some brouhaha with... Uh, um, what your family, your, uh, say your, I, well, first of all, let me say this judgment is the vice of small men. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I test to that. So are, are you surprised at the, the notoriety that's come your way with, uh, your family, your family unit? Uh, I, nothing has surprised me to be honest. We expected that there would be some interest and a lot of love thrown our way. We thought we'd also get some negative comments on social media. And we knew that some of that would come from the gay community too, because we had some friends who went through a very similar process. So yeah. everything was as expected. You know, it is surprising. I'm often surprised by the gay community. There's so much support for something. Then there'll be someone who's just I'm thinking, how, how can you be rational? But you know, like, like I said, judgment is the vice of small men. So I won't judge. <laughs> so um, tell me, um, Tell me the process you went through. I know you had uh, surrogate um, parents, I guess. Is that the right term? Um, yeah, I guess so. Technically, we wouldn't call the surrogate a parent because they don't have any obligations to the child and they don't have any um, uh, decision-making ability. They don't get to decide where we go to school or the, those types of things or what right. we have for breakfast. But they are beloved members uh, of the family, kind of like aunt figures. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so the process was, you know, we initially got an offer of embryo um, donation from a, a lesbian couple that had finished their family but didn't want to discard their children. And it was just an incredible um, touching moment when they told us that they would trust us to raise their children. And we really loved that idea because we love the idea of them having siblings across town and having these aunt figures that they would get to know uh, and being um, genetically related. Um, we thought that all sounded really wonderful. So that's where we started. Uh, unfortunately, biology had uh, something to say about that, and the uh, donated embryos didn't work out, and we had to create our own. Ian, I just want to uh, preface your response uh, as you continue, interrupt you for just a second. Think of the people that are perhaps listening that are um, the couples that are considering doing what you're doing, and what's important for them to keep in mind as you respond. I think that would be very helpful. I'm sure there's a lot of people that, how did it happen? How's it work out? Where do you start? you know, kind of stuff, some basic stuff. Well, there's absolutely a whole number of tips um, that I would give to people now who are trying to plan parenthood, either through embryo adoption or um, surrogacy. We learned a lot in this process. We really wish we had a primer that we could turn to um, rather than make some, uh, some expensive and, and time-consuming mistakes ourselves. Yeah. So what were some of the, what are some of the caution you, you might cast to, out there for people? Sure. So, you know, one thing was we went through the process of having these contracts made between each of us and the women that were involved. And that's required for uh, proceeding with surrogacy in California. And I think that's appropriate. Everyone should know what their obligations and expectations are before you start. Absolutely. Really frustrating for us, though, that we were not considered a family unit. So we had to have a separate contract between each of the three of us and each of the two women. 
So a married couple doesn't have to go through that. So if you're thinking about getting married before you start, you can just have one contract. Um, you're treated as a unit in that situation. That is one. Um, All right. We obviously can't get married because there's three of us and we, we didn't want anyone to feel left out. Um, another tip was really ask a lot of questions of the lawyers and anticipate the future because the first contracts we made were for these donated embryos. And then, you know, when, when those didn't work out, the lawyers were like, yeah, we well, have to do all new contracts um, to do this again with embryos you create. And we're like, wait a second, we paid you $500 an hour to craft the contract and it's limited to this one specific set of donated embryos. Like why didn't you draft something a little bit more inclusive so we didn't have to pay you again? Um, but you know, it's what's done is done and we just had to repeat the process. It, oh my. It's not cheap. They could have written in there, had the embryos not worked out that, uh... Yeah, that a second set would be acceptable under the terms of the agreement, something like that. Something simple could have been added, huh? That's That was our feeling for sure. Um, I also want to add that I read recently that, uh, and you're probably aware of this and maybe have more information, that they did a study on uh, scholastic success in young adults, kids in school, and they found that the same parent, same-sex parents had, uh, children had higher scholastic scholastic testing. So they scored better on their grades in, uh, I, I think it was uh, grade school and high school uh, than, than the traditional heterosexual. Now, I, I, I hate to say that, but that's the truth. That's what they found. So uh, It's always okay to tell the truth, is my view. <laughs> um, I think the reason for that is probably not too surprising. When you have um, same-sex couples, the kids that they have are not, you know, there's no way they can have an accident. So every kid... <laughs> You have to go through quite a process to get it. It is expensive. It required a lot of planning and thought. And that means that all of those kids are very uh, carefully taken care of and wanted. So, you know, I'm not saying that heterosexuals don't do that too, but you can end up with kids that didn't have that planning. And that also that process selects for people that have a certain amount of education and financial resources. So, you know, impoverished gay people are going to have a harder time having kids, just like impoverished straight people have a hard time raising them. Um, but you might end up with kids that don't have as many resources as the kids of the gay parents. Yeah. I think there's a lot into it. And, and, and I mean, it's, the big point to me is that it's not an, uh-oh, what happened, you know, and kind of an accident. And attitudes have changed too. I know um, since high school days, when my older brother got married because he got his girlfriend pregnant and uh, the marriage didn't last particularly as long as you might think, but it, it did last for a while, enough for two kids. But anyway, I digress. So um, the uh, so let, let's continue your journey here. So you um, the first one failed, and the second one you got on board with a, a second set of uh, embryo. So we actually created the embryos at that point. Uh, there weren't any more um, from this family that did the donation, so we decided to make our own, and oh. that meant we had to find a mother. And so that's an interesting process too. When you're straight and you want to have kids, you just stop using birth control most of the time. Uh, in our situation, we had to pick a surrogate. We had to pick uh, an egg donor. We had to make decisions about who was going to father the children. And we ended up doing uh, a third of the embryos each, um, fertilizing them. And then you have to make decisions about like picking the gender of your child, um, which is you know something that again, straight people don't typically do. But when we have a, a series of embryos in a test tube and the doctor says, you know, what do we want to implant first? You got to make a decision. So it's a very interesting process. Oh, wow. That's something I never would have thought of. Oh, <laughs> so you made a decision and you have, um, which you have, you have a girl and a boy. 
That's right. And we basically ended up with um, two excellent embryos and one that was maybe going to work out, but didn't look like it probably would. Uh, one boy and one girl. Uh, and so we decided to implant our girl embryo first. We thought that a girl would be a great big sibling. We know that they're kind of smarter and more reliable on average. Sorry, men. <laughs> they get so things we, done. <laughs> they do. And all the people we know that have kids of both genders say like, don't worry about your son. He's probably normal. They're just slower than girls. So we're like, let's do the girl first. Um, and we're really glad that we did that because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and now one's 14, 14 months. Uh, so three and a half and, and um, about uh, a year and 20 months now. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're, they're getting verbal. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, the, the older child is, is not just verbal. She sings and she is now reading. Um, and she's oh, a sponge. Wow. She's really smart and picking up stuff really fast. And our son is, is working on speaking in sign language um, actively right now. Oh, sign language. Like I points at things he wants. Um, I mean, that's, that's some gesturing too, but we, we taught specific sign language to both oh, kids. Really? So Piper oh. knew about 50 to 60 signs when she was a little girl while she was learning to speak and, and you use things to say like more milk, water, eat up um, and, and things like that so that the kids can communicate because it's easier for kids to control their hands than it is to control their mouth and voice. So it helps them communicate uh, and solve some of the frustration. It's, it's very frustrating to want something when you're a toddler and not be able to tell your parents what it is. So we use sign language to help them out. Yeah. Um, the, um, I've had, in my life, I've had two, um, two groups of people I know that are a three-partner um, three situation, and both of them are similar in age differences and, and age so there's two older and, and one about eight years younger in both cases. I think the other one's 10 years younger. And, and they have done fabulously well. They've lasted forever. And uh, so when I've had people say, uh, well, three, that doesn't sound, how could that work out? I said, I always say, don't judge. Because <laughs> that, that secret formula, that special sauce, it, it's different for everyone. And, uh, and if you find it, grab it, go for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I also don't mind that, you know, people think like it's not for them or they have questions. I don't consider that judgment. I expect that people are curious and that's, you know, that's you can, like, should, I'm, judging my, I'm being judgmental myself. They're saying it's judgmental, but yeah, people are just curious and want to understand it a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would turn around and say, you know, some people say, well, you can't love more than one person. And uh, you know, it was actually an experience I had, where a parent was telling me that. And I was like, don't you have three kids? D did you pick one to love? You know, and that was, they were kind of mm -hmm. like, we don't get it. But I was like, all right, well, you know, if it's not for you, you don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is like, people say, well, how does this possibly work with, with three people? You know, and, and my response to that is like, well, how does lifelong monogamy work? I mean, look at the rates of, you know, serial monogamy, infidelity and um, divorce or other relationship ends you know, add all that up, you know, it seems that lifelong monogamy is, is actually pretty unsuccessful overall for, you know, going your whole life. But if it works for you, that's fantastic. I just, you know, people should be able to choose the loves and the lives that they want. Right. Have you, um, is, is there, uh, is other media gotten come towards you and ask to uh, some, you know, ask for your response on uh, your, um, I don't know, your life's 
your lives and how they're working for you? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, so we have a book coming out on the 9th of next month. Um, it's available for pre-sale now. So we've been talking to a lot of people to try to increase awareness um, for a couple of reasons. Um, we think it's a good story. Uh, it should be entertaining and funny and touching at times. And we also want people to know about the advance in legal rights that we were able to get. So we're the first family that um, has all three members of a polyamorous family listed as the parents of a, mm-hmm. a child at birth. So um, that's never happened before. A polyamorous family has never been given a legal recognition as the parents of a child. And so we want everyone else to know who might be in this situation that they could become legal parents of their kids, which is really important for the you know, well-being of the children. Um, there's really important tangible rights that you get from that, that, you know, it's, it's not about just, you know, right. we got this, we're going to put it on the wall. It, it was something we did to protect the children. Picking the kids up from school, you know, you've you got to be a parent. Uh, you know. Well, we actually sometimes have our nanny pick up our kid from preschool and you can make arrangements with the school, um, like who's on the acceptable list for pickups. But, um, you know, when we travel out of country, we don't want to get in any trouble with, you know, situation like that this isn't your kid and, and they would be right if, if I weren't a parent of my child they could say like this is not your child you can't be taking this kid around we could get into legal trouble outside the country um, in our country we're worried that we might be able to consent for you know medical care or take the kids to nutrition um, and another huge thing that happens is um, you know I, I work for the University of California and they have they take good care of their employees and so we have a really nice pension system but because we're unmarried if I got killed that pension would have just disappeared um, and now that I'm a legal parent of my children, they would inherit that pension. So everyone's like, well, you just did this to make a point. I was like, no, you did this because I want my kids to be set up for college and, um, you know, get them a good start in life. That's, that's why we did you know, it. I have a corporate attorney friend and he's been, he's very, he's gay and he's pro, so pro every gay rights and, and all those. And I, he was, when the first marriage thing was first uh, becoming a hot button, and I, uh, I think it was after, it was before Prop 8, but because it was, everyone was talking about it. And I said, you know, I think if, if, if people should get married, that's, that's okay. But um, what was it? Uh, a, a union was, was, what's the difference? You know, what's the big deal? I was going, what's the big deal? Getting married or not getting married? And, and what if you just had a, a civil, what's it, what were they doing? Not civil unions, but. Yeah, civil unions. Civil unions, yeah. And and my friend, who I will remain nameless, uh, said, Craig, you don't realize that if you were to look at the, the laws on the books, federal, state, local, that there's over 2,300 something in that, he said, that, that we really know of. And he said, there's more. And he says, it's not really uh, equitable as and fair until it's uh, a marriage. And you can't. There's nothing that's going to substitute it. There's nothing out there that would substitute it. And just for some of the reasons that you're explaining there, Ian, uh, would it be fair to say that your book uh, contains some additional tidbits about the road traveled and what's important to look out for if you're considering being a parent? Well, that's about all that's in it, really, is our journey um, as a triad relationship and our journey to becoming parents and then the, you know, the first uh, month or so of our baby uh, and an update on our second child. So yeah, that's just what the whole book is about. Our legal journey, we had, I mean, so many uh, legal steps we had to clear, some medical emergencies. Uh, it was quite an adventure. Um, so yeah, and then there's, you know, 
moments that are, are I find quite funny and there's moments of um, sheer terror and uh, a little bit of heartbreak. Um, and then a celebratory court moment. It's uh, it was, oh, cool. it was quite an adventure. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, the book, what's the title of the book? Three Dads and a Baby. Three Dads and a Baby. How, how appropriate. And it's uh, it's been released. Well, it's available for pre-sale now, um, but it's going to come out um, on the 9th. And it's available kind of, hopefully, at bookstores wherever. But um, I know that it's on Goodreads, as well as Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Wow. So you heard it here first on KXFM 104.7 Rainbow Radio. <laughs> Three Dads and a Child. And a Baby. And a Baby. Three Dads and a Baby. Uh, but now it's two babies or two children at, at past yeah, the baby stage. <laughs> a lot happened. It takes a long time to write a book and get it to a publication. I learned so you can have a second child during that time. I apparently, <laughs> with all the other implications that go along with it. Um, did you find writing the book was um, uh, affected you? Did certainly. Um, you know, going through the experiences was much more affecting than writing it. But there were a couple times where I was recounting something that happened where, you know, for example, at one point we had one of our doctors who kind of told us what sounded like a really elaborate tall tale about why they couldn't work with us. And it was only through the craziest coincidence um, and my medical background that I was able to tell that that wasn't true uh, and that we were kind of being had. And, and that was an extremely upsetting event. As you can imagine, you want your doctors to be helpful and honest with you. Um, and we had to jump ship. We were in the middle of the surrogacy process at that time. So we had, a, you know, like a clock ticking, like our surrogate was, um, you know, getting prepared with hormones so that her uterus would be ready for implantation. And we couldn't really be, you know, like trying to find a new doctor at the last minute, but we had to. So, um, yeah, writing that chapter really did tick me off a little bit, but, the biggest effect I've had related to the book is when people ask me about, you know, moments that I treasure or moments that affected me and I recount them, it just reminds me like how much I love these kids and my family and how lucky we are that this all worked out and for me to have my partners. Uh, and so it's actually just gratitude uh, when I talk about it. Yeah. I had Dos Padres on the program and um, they have two kids. They're two two adults and two kids, and they're married. and And um, it they've created quite a uh, well. They have a book too, but they created quite a a, a following uh, in media and whatnot because um, they're both Hispanic, I think. Maybe one not. Maybe one's not. But uh, anyway, that the Hispanic culture is a little more conservative towards the Catholic side uh, when it comes to. Oh, to families and, and such. And uh, so it's, you know, it was really outside of the bounds for a lot of people, but it was, uh, it was really, really cool. And so I said to them, I said, um, you know, I had a father who wasn't very close to me, close to any of his kids. He didn't know how to show affection. And I, to this day, I can see a parent with a, particularly a father with their son, like me and my dad would have been. And I, I tried, I tried to show some affection to him once and he made fun of me and said, is that something you learned in college? You know, like at some kind of foreign, like Archie Bunker might say to meathead, you know, and it really hurt my feelings. And of course my mom runs around and apologizes for my dad, which was pretty typical. But anyway, the point was, is that I, today when I see a child on a parent's shoulders and they're walking down the street and the dad is happy as hell and the kids are giggling and laughing. I just, 
I break down and cry. I just think it's the most wonderful thing a parent can show that, that affection so openly uh, to their child, you know, that it, it, it's, so I hope, I hope when they're old enough, you put one of them or both of them uh, on your shoulders. <laughs> uh, you don't need to worry about that. So first thing, I want to send you a big e-hug and apologize on behalf of toxic masculinity for that experience. That sounds terrible. Um, we have been aware of that since before our children existed. And we made a conscious effort to always show them love and affection and to make sure that our boy especially grew up knowing that it was okay to have feelings, to understand that compassion um, and affection are, you know, not inconsistent with being masculine. Um, yeah, just to be loving. And um, we really want to make sure that they grow up understanding that, um, you know, we're here to take care of each other. Uh, to be good to each other and being cold um, doesn't really help anybody. You never run out of hugs. <laughs> and they're so affordable. They're easy. It's an easy deal. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, a no-brainer. COVID, COVID has kind of got in the way of that, but I'm, um, I'm optimistic that that will be behind us here. Hopefully by the end of the year is what it really looks like. Uh, um, your other partners, your, um, uh, what can you add about them? <laughs> Well, um, I'm a lucky guy. Um, yeah. you know, I think it's sometimes hard to find a great man out there, but uh, I have two. And um, my first partner, Alan, I met him when he was in medical school and he is now a, a psychiatrist um, and just really sharp and brilliant. And you can just sort of tell when he thinks about things um, that, you know, he has a great immediate understanding of the problem that other doctors really couldn't figure out after, you know, working with someone sometimes for six months, um, they, they don't really know what's going on, but you can tell right away. Um, and then he has all these yeah. other amazing skills. Like he taught himself to play the guitar and taught himself to play the piano without any lessons, which I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he can fix copper pipe plumbing and, uh, wire, uh, new ceiling fans in and all sorts of other stuff. Very handy. Change the oil and spark plugs and um, my, our, our newer partner or younger partner, Jeremy is a zookeeper and he works uh, at the San Diego zoo in the zoo hospital. So he's, um, wow. essential, uh, healthcare just for, you know, hundreds of species of animals. He takes care of everyone that comes in there. Um, and that means that he has to wrangle, um, animals like, uh, I mean, you don't actually have to wrangle this animal, but after sedation work with a 800 pound gorilla that could tear your head off, uh, and help take that to the hospital for an MRI or um, deal with some birds, which can just actually push their talon through your hand effortlessly. And the California condor, which can snap a femur with its beak. So uh, he's got a lot of skills related to that, as well as um, propagation of endangered bird species. So he's actually, um, at the time, had hatched out more endangered Hawaiian crows than anyone else on earth and was the first person <laughs> on earth to help raise um, two species of um, Hawaiian birds from the Kauai rainforest. Well, so you must have very interesting dinner conversations at the end of the day. <laughs> what did you do today? Oh, I wrangled a 10,000 pound gorilla. <laughs> and what did you do today? Well, I, I talked someone off a bridge. At, uh, well, you know, I, when dinner comes, I, I generally have to um, hold my tongue because uh, uh, the stories of things that happen to me at work are sometimes COVID related tragedies or other things that nobody yeah. really wants to see or hear. So um, I have to <laughs> just internalize all that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how your industry has persevered so well and under the circumstances so dire. It's just, it, it's beyond, it's, you kind of have to put it aside because it's so far beyond comprehension, you know. 
Yeah. To that end, I want to say like, we've gotten a lot of love as hospital doctors for taking care of people and it hasn't been stress-free, but um, I do want to say as soon as the pandemic ends and it's safe, please go hug the ICU nurses first. You can also hug the ICU doctors and the ER nurses and ER uh, doctors, um, but they really took the brunt of it. Uh, and especially this was not evenly distributed. So lots of small hospitals, rural communities, they couldn't yeah. get the staffing. They didn't have the equipment and they were at a serious risk themselves. And then just the emotional trauma of seeing half a million Americans die um, hasn't been easy for them. But we've, we've actually been okay in my group. Uh, and I feel super blessed um, to have been that lucky. Yeah. Um, I never thought about the small rural um, hospitals and the, the first, uh, the first um, caregivers. Uh, and how difficult that must be as well. Um, it's just uh, the latest, uh, one of the latest studies determined, and it was an independent study from wherever, that uh, approximately 160,000 lives could have been saved if better mit mitigation uh, steps had been taken. But it's always easier to look back, but oh my, well, we, we probably shouldn't go there. I could, we could talk all day on that, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, real, real tragedy. Um, I actually would yeah. guess myself the number was a lot higher than that. But well, we can move on to more family and kids. Yes, stuff. yes. So let's go on to your family a little bit more here. You you met. So that was what's your um, the val the Valentine Day meeting. You must have met some one of your um, partners on Valentine's Day. That's right. Um, that was like the our our first date. Me and Alan um, back in like um, two thousand. Two. So um, the, um, or three, sorry, 2003. Uh, it was an accident, to be honest. I mean, we, we made plans to have a date and I um, made some homemade pizza dough and was letting that rise. I brought over a pizza stone, homemade sauce and prepared this home cooked meal, brought a bottle of wine. Well, you uh, are quite a catch. I <laughs> and men can cook. So I, I learned a lot about pizza. <laughs> Yeah, um, but, you know, it's really only later we realized, like, hey, that was Valentine's Day. And, you know, basically what happened was at that time I was a resident. So I was working easily 80 to 100 hours a week. And we just were like, this was the one moment where we could actually see each other briefly. And I was like, oh, look, it was Valentine's Day. I'm like, well, why don't we call that our starting point? <laughs> so so you you apparently your schedule changed and you were able to to uh, to meet Alan a little bit more frequently. And it. Well, um, back in the day, residents were um, asked to work really uh, inappropriate hours. So I worked six weeks once without a day off and I worked 100, 120 hour weeks. I worked a 39 hour shift. Uh, those things are illegal now. So um, and I'm no longer a resident. I'm an attending physician. So I work usually like seven days pretty. I mean, they're not like short hours, but, you know, maybe 10, 12 hour days uh, in a row. And then I'll have time that's off to work on committee projects and education. Uh, and so it's actually been great. We actually have kind of like rotating work schedules. And so most of the days, one of us is home with the kids. And so there's just always a parent that's available. And uh, it really actually highlights the benefit of having an extra parent around. They're always surrounded by someone that loves them um, and is thinking about how to enrich their, you know, their life. Um, when we were young, you know, dealing with newborns was just so much easier in a poly family than all the experiences I've had my straight friends tell me about. It's so important for someone to be home when you get home as a child. I, mean, I know my mother, she made a point that she'd always be there when we got back from school. I think that's wonderful that you um, make that happen. Yeah. 
So then uh, your third um, partner, Alan, was your, your, your first one, right? That's right. And then okay. we met then Jeremy, um, well, eight years ago. Um, and, you know, at that time, I, I sort of mentioned that, um, you know, Alan and I would consider dating someone as a couple. And Jeremy had actually met a thruple uh, before uh, while he was in Hawaii. They were visiting and he got to know them. And he's like, well, I'm, you know, that doesn't concern me, but it's really definitely not for me. I'm not interested in any kind of arrangement like that. And I said, no problem. Like, I'm, I'm really looking for interesting, funny, intelligent, compassionate friends, too. So why don't we just hang out? And I took him to lunch to sort of make sure he wasn't crazy and for him to make sure I wasn't. And the next day I brought him home to Alan and we made him dinner and we just hung out the next seven evenings because we just hit it off and it was a great time. Wow. Sounds um, like there was some energy, energy under the surface there that brought it all together because you know, it was the right, the right energy. Uh, I see you have uh, three dogs as well. How do you handle that? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, uh, that third dog has crossed the Rainbow Bridge. So we're down to two. Um, and uh, we have these two uh, golden doodles. So yeah, at our peak, we actually had um, two golden doodles, two Bichon Frise, the little white fluffy dogs. We also had up to 20 rabbits uh, in our rabbit farm, nine chickens. And we didn't hand count them, but at one point, probably 100,000 bees. Uh, oh, so it's quite a farm situation here. So you live in rural uh, San Diego somewhere? Uh, no, we, I mean, we live in kind of like what you call like a bedroom community. It's just a, a residential neighborhood. But in San Diego, you can keep up to five chickens anywhere on your property. And you can have more than that if they're uh, farther back from the property line. So, um, yeah, there's like urban beekeeper classes here. Um, Jeremy was really interested in having bees. And it, it actually was really cool until I developed anaphylaxis. Um, so the bees had to go bye-bye. Um, but now we're doing rabbits. And, uh, you know, chicken farming is important to us, too. We like to get cruelty-free eggs. Growing up, we had, I had a bobcat. You had a bobcat. That's a bobcat. amazing. And I gave it to Palo Alto Zoo uh, when it got full grown after it got, it was just a kitten when I got it. And it was fairly tame. But we had the donkey. And I, I, I wish to this day I had asked my dad, what possessed you to go get a donkey, you know, <laughs> that would bray every morning and wake everyone up? You know, we had a donkey and horses and cats and dogs and we had rabbits and a cow. No chickens, pigeons, but <laughs> chickens. <laughs> and I think that's great for kids to have those experiences. <laughs> I, w I was there when uh, our, our one of the horses I had its fold and uh, I helped it along, you know, I pulled the birth sack off over it because the mother was so old, she couldn't get up and pull it off. And, uh, and it popped right up and looked me right in the eye. And I thought, you know, that's the first person that horse has ever seen was me. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we think it's important for kids to know where their food comes from and to make good decisions about, you know, everything they do in life, but yeah. um, where they get their food. And so, um, you know, our three and a half year old, we, you know, show her these baby bunnies and we kind of tell her like later on, these bunnies are going to be sausage and we're going to take great care of them until that last moment. <laughs> we used to um, sit at the dinner table and my dad or my older brother raised a cow called it T-bone and we would be eating dinner meat. We'd go, is this T-bone? My mom go, no, that's porterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we ate our, our animal. It was terrible, but we did. 
Well, uh, I think those animals probably had a much better life than factory raised animals. And they're certainly oh, yeah. here for you and the environment. So, um, you know, honestly, if you're a wild animal, it's not really a great deal. You have to die of either a terrible illness or get killed by a predator. So, um, you know, an instantaneous end is, is not the worst ending to an animal's life. Um, but it, the thing that confuses me is when people will criticize us raising our own animals, but then they eat industrial meat. And so like, it's actually much worse. It's just that we do it ourselves. So doing it yourself really encourages you to eat less. I'll tell you, because those oh, ones, yeah. they are cute. <laughs> what do you really need? <laughs> um, I got to say, this is KXFM 104.7 Rainbow Radio, Saturday morning, every Saturday morning with Craig. And I'm interviewing Dr. Ian Jenkins and uh, a parent group of three and with uh, three parent with listed as the parents of th of two children, a boy and a girl, and uh, they went through the process. How long from from first thought in your brain to having your two kids with you? How long would that process take? Well, you know, the first thought we had about kids was after several years together, me and Alan. So that that's a fifteen year process. But really, having the journey and, and getting to that threshold of saying we're going to change our lives and actually have the kids. Um, that happened with Jeremy kind of really pushed us along. He's uh, just a, he's a nurturer. He's a zookeeper by trade. So yeah. he, um, he, he really helped us see like, we need to go ahead and do this. We can't just talk about it. We're kind of getting older here. Um, and so I would say that the whole process, uh, took about three years, I should really look that up and get a specific answer for you though. It wasn't easy, you know, and it was, it was significantly harder because there was three of us compared to two, but right. Uh, Adoption is a great option for some families as well. And then others have an arrangement. Like we know some people that were the sperm donors for a lesbian couple. And all we needed to do was arrange a weekend get together with a turkey baker present. And they became <laughs> parents that way. And they still have these kids in their lives, um, which, you know, the, the dads um, sort of see them for like vacation and the moms are the primary parents. Um, but that solution was uh, vastly simpler than the one we came up with. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just think it's amazing to see different chosen families come together and raise happy, loved kids in all sorts of different family structures. And the, the one constant is you got to make sure that the kids are going to come first and that you're going to raise them with intention and do the very best you can for them and make sure that um, you've thought of everything that can go wrong and that you, you know, protect those little ones. I have some um, friends, lots of ways to do that. friends here in Laguna Beach that are... Um... They have two kids, they're, but they're in uh, probably the eighth grade, maybe high school now. Maybe one of them's in high school. But they've had some challenges with the school and the being listed as parents, as the, the husband and wife, and the identity on the documents. And sometimes it's difficult. Um, but I was just thinking, ask you the question if that was what you experienced. But your kids are, well, one might be in kindergarten. Right, the book uh, she's in preschool, she's preschool. Still three and a half, but um, so yeah, probably a couple more years there, and then we'll go off to kindergarten. Yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that the um, schools are um, prepared and understand or do it right. I don't know, well, I don't know that they're going to be prepared because this is not a common arrangement, and we don't expect them to be. Um, again, if they're confused or don't know what to do. We're not going to be offended or angry. We're just going to talk them through it. So this actually happened when we were, um, you know, in the hospital preparing for a child's birth the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they came up to us and said, listen, there's these three parents and we respect that. And we have a surrogate, but you can't all visit the kid. And we're like, well, wait, why not? 
You know, they're like, well, normally what we do is we have a packet for a childbirth and it has one bracelet for mom and one bracelet for dad. So each of them get a bracelet and then they can visit. That's the visitation pass. And we're like, okay, well, what do you do for all the surrogacy couples you take care of? They're like, oh yeah, good question. So we just open two packets and we give um, bracelets to three of the parents and then we throw one away. And I was like, great. So today you're going to open two packets, but you're not going to throw one away because we're all going to come see this kid. And they're like, well, we, we don't know about that. That's new to us. And so we just pulled out our surrogacy um, agreement followed by the um, judgment from the you know, family court that said we were all legal parents. And we're like, which legal parent do you intend to deny visitation to for their child in the hospital? And then at that point, they're like, oh yeah, we should just give you the four bracelets. We were like, yeah, thanks very much. I don't think there was malice there. I think they were just honestly confused because you know no one's great at something the first time they do it. So Well, that's what I think my friend found with the school. There's no malice. It's just a... a uh, it's not been up before and they didn't, hadn't think, thought about it. And what I guess the, some of the frustration was once it's been sorted out, things should be changed so that it doesn't happen again, you know, um, and that's where his frustration was. That I will say, though, that gay parents have been around for a long time. And if a school is not prepared to take care of gay parents at this point, they really were deliberately not trying and yeah. the other thing is um, my hearts go out to people that are in less welcoming communities. We're in California, we're, you know, in an urban area. It's, um, it's really been a non-issue for us, except we had to do this legal precedent. But I'm sure that there are places all across this country where, you know, unfortunately elected officials and other government people would be at pains to make people feel like second-class citizens. This just happened in Indiana where the state was uh, asking the Supreme Court for permission to deny parentage to uh, one of the wives of a married lesbian couple when the other one had a child. And I just like, why would you use state money and state resources to go and tell a wife that she's not a parent to her wife's child um, when there are better things to do with that money? I mean, honestly, just think about it. There's homeless kids in that state. There's hungry kids in that state. There's kids without education in that state. But instead they went to the Supreme Court for permission to deny parentage to a parent. So you got to wonder about the priorities there. Um, that wasn't just confusion. That was malice. And um, again, we're blessed to be in a place where we haven't encountered that. Um, not by accident. I mean, we're here on purpose, but it's really kind of a tough situation still for many parents across the United States who aren't as lucky. And then can you imagine, I mean, some people just don't even have a chance uh, in, you know, very conservative um, countries around, around the world. Right. I, I oh. am. You may not know, but you, and I didn't do it today, but for the last uh, probably four or five shows, I, I do news and updates and I subscribe to one um, news source. It's called Altura and they do it on a global basis. Now today I didn't have time for it, but I, I read what goes on in all these other countries in the news. And um, I mean, it's horrific. Here's an example. This is, I keep meaning to, to do this. Uh, Same-sex marriage is still not allowed in 167 countries around the world. Homosexuality is still a crime in 74 countries or jurisdictions around the world. 14 of those impose the death penalty and five of those up to life imprisonment. And that's around the world. So um, I do think we have a president that uh, that's on his agenda to, to share the love and, and, uh, and try to diminish the hate. Um, hate crimes against LGBT, LGBTQ people are still a reality. These frequently involve torture, cutting, and mutilation. Go on. 
between 30 and 40% of youth, LGBTQ youth attempt suicide a rate 1.5 to three times higher than non-LGBTQ youth. So those are some statistics. I mean, if you have resources, do, do something like you said, Ian, do something. That, well, or this is another one. How many million people do you think the World Health Organization say die annually from starvation? I do not know. Nine million. Nine million. And I wonder also how this is calculated, because as a doctor, I'll tell you that people don't actually die of starvation in the United States or even in North Korea when they had their famine. What happens is they get really weak and then they die of an infection. And that's usually how it's recorded. What they said in the death of these people, they they usually it's dysentery and it's poor water, poor quality water. So they get disease and they they can't eat and they starve to death. You know, they can't hold food down. They're sick and they starve to death. So that's water, potable water is the number one cause of uh, death, essentially, as opposed to starvation, I suppose. But I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the, those statistics that we forget. And, and I think that's why so many rock stars and they go, they do tour around the world and they see some of these other countries and just how horrific the situation is and their heart goes out to them. You know, here they are with all the trappings of money and fame, and they're in a country where so there's so much pain and suffering. It, it's remarkable. But there's a lot more work to be done. A lot of good things can be done. There's a great opportunity for good things to be done. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you don't even have to travel to see this. I mean, we had a huge water issue in Flint. We've got homeless people all over the streets in California. Yep. Um, even though we're the world's, what, sixth largest economy? I think we could make a decision that we were going to put those people in beds uh, and just do it. Yeah, I we um, Laguna Beach Pride, which I'm president of here in, in Laguna Beach, we had a couple of charity drives and we went with the Friendship Shelter and they we talked about the homeless situation. The number one remedy is, number one, is give them a place to live. Then you can deal with the other items. That, but they used to think you had to get get everything straight in your life, a job, and then you might get a place to live. But they found it's quite the other way around and it, that it does work. So glad, glad to be a part of that solution and uh, as an organization. And we'll probably do some more here again with Laguna Beach Pride. But um, it's always good. So you should come up here for Pride. Okay. I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> we'll we just have to get rid of the virus first. Too. Well, yeah, that that's for sure. We have been on the, on the down low, but we still feel we need to do what we can. So we've been doing... Uh, virtual drag bingo and raise money for uh, the homeless shelter as well as the food bank. And it, um, it's, it's very satisfying. You know, I give them, hand them a check for a couple thousand dollars for the money that we raised with some drag bingo. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so it all, it all adds up. I got to keep the time. We got six, Looks like we got six minutes here left. This is KXFM 104.7. And your book, again, is Three Guys and a, and a Child. Three dads and a baby. <laughs> Three men and a baby. Wow, I didn't even get that close. <laughs> and it's available on Amazon, uh, hopefully. You, are you sure? You, yeah, no, I'm sure. I've seen it. Uh, I have friends okay. that have pre-ordered it, and I have a stack of books in, in my office. Uh, so I, I know that they're out there and they're coming. So, But yeah, it'll be um, regular sale on March 9th and pre-sale now. It sounds, Ian, like if you're considering being a, a family with children or having children in your relationship, that 
this would be a good investment, <laughs> pay big dividends to your book to be able to understand the the what your processes were and your the trials and tribulations that that you experienced. Well, we can we can save you a lot of money up front if you're doing this. So one thing is, um, uh, if you're thinking about the medicines, um, they're actually extremely expensive drugs, and they come in these sets where you might not use the whole set. And so one thing you can do is potentially partner with other people who are doing the same process, so you don't have to um, all have unused oh. product at the end of a cycle. Uh, another strategy is to get meds from outside the country, from a place that you trust. Um, for surrogacy medicines, I might not go to you know, pharmacies that you don't know from the third world, but you can get sometimes these meds from Canada. And we got meds for our second cycle from Israel. Uh, and, and we're talking about like $5,000 just for the meds for one of the women. So, um, you know, that's not insignificant. We cut like half of the price away from that. Yeah. Another huge tip here is that if you need infertility services, that's usually not covered by insurance, you'll go to see a specialist. And that specialist will say, you need this uterine test, you need the sperm count, you need all these other things, we have to do STD testing. And then you pay out of pocket for that. And sometimes they'll even like double bill you or do other things that aren't strictly necessary because for them it's income and they just assume that they can just do whatever they want with your finances. But most of those services are covered by insurance. The visits wow. might not be, but if someone says you need some kind of ultrasound or something, go to your primary care doctor and get it done there. Um, and then it'll be covered by insurance. And then you, you will still have to, of course, pay for implantation. You have to pay a surrogate and you should do that um, very, very um, uh, generously and with great appreciation because uh, it's worth it. But, um, you know, there are a lot of savings that nobody told us about. And certainly our reproductive medicine doctors didn't take us aside and say, we're going to do these tests, but you could get them done for free at your primary care doctor's office. They just went ahead and billed us. So we didn't know that. And uh, I wish we had. Absolutely. Wow. See, see, it, it's paid for itself. I'll just listening today. <laughs> Let's, I have three minutes. I, I, I should wrap it up here. Ian, Anything, any, anything else you want to add there? Or you want to shout out to Alan and um, your third person? Yeah, Alan and Jeremy, love you. Jeremy. Thank you for going on this journey with us. Um, it's been amazing. We wouldn't have the kids if there had not been three of us. Wow. They're all all uh, of us brought something to the table that was necessary for the kids to happen as far as our motivations and our resources and other things, Jeremy's friends and Alan's friends. And so they, they literally wouldn't exist had we not been a throuple. That's um, yeah. And if I had to give you a take home point, there's really two. The first is that love makes a family. And if people are taking care of each other and they're in love and it doesn't look exactly like the family next door, that's okay. Just get to know them. Um, they may be from a different background or have a different skin color or have an extra parent, but um, give them a hug. It's love that makes a difference. And then we wanted people to know, about the increasing availability of legal rights for polyamorous families. I just learned several days ago that ordinances to do non-discrimination for poly families are being um, proposed and advanced in a number of American cities to provide protection for, for families like mine. So I was super excited to learn that and I'm gonna to try to help um, with the process. I, I would like to invite you to return in a, in a year or two and get an update, I think it would be fantastic uh, as your kids grow up. And I'd love to see a photograph of uh, one of your kids on your shoulders. <laughs> well, we got we've got lots of those. So um, warm yeah. my heart. <laughs> Again, this is uh, Craig on Rainbow Radio. Thank you, Ian, for for dialing in this early morning. Well, you're probably an early morning person to begin with, or is this the only day you have to sleep in? <laughs> Yesterday's meeting was at six, so this is a late start. Oh wow! Okay, so. <laughs> 
yeah, I, I have people in the theater that they don't like to get up before noon. So <laughs> that I interview. So, so we'll, so we're all good. Thanks again, Ian, for, for dialing in. I'm going to uh, take it away here with a, uh, a thank you to my audience and a song and Ida May is going to be here on the other side of our radio identification. Have a fabulous day, Laguna Beach and everyone who's listening. If you want to catch up uh, the what the program and you missed some of it, you can always go to rainbow-radio.com. That's rainbow-radio.com tomorrow afternoon. I'll put it on there uh, this afternoon, but by tomorrow afternoon at the latest, it will be posted and a, and a podcast as well. Again, thank you to my listeners for tuning in. Have a fabulous day.